Asia Story listeners, today we have another story about a unique friendship. We host Stephen Wagner, who tells of his time as a student in Spain and his relationship with his host dad, and how that time has influenced his current work with a gap year program called The Awaken Project. Through his stories, we are reminded of the importance of human connection, of serving one another, and blessing others with hospitality. And you may also learn a thing or two about the interstate road system. So listen in. Hello and welcome to Just Stories. We share inspiring stories of real people leading lives impacted by social justice, advocacy, and service. Here our guests have used their experiences to make a difference in the lives of others. And remember, it's all about the story, theirs and yours. Just Stories. Hi there, Cheryl. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Mark. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Say, we've got a guest on today that will be uh, talking a little bit about his overseas travel experiences and cross-cultural experiences. And I thought it'd be great if maybe we shared ours a little bit briefly for our listeners. Do you have a favorite spot that you've been or or a place that you've been to that's been especially uh, overseas, that's been especially cross-culturally challenging or uh, stimulating? Well, I've traveled much more in the U.S. domestically, but I did get to go get a chance to go to Greece when my brother was stationed there in the Air Force. Okay. And I went with my mom and my dad, and I particularly remember going and walking on the beach um, with my parents, and I was just out of college and very aware of my surroundings and who's looking at us and um, my dad walking with his black shoes and like high black socks. And I have this memory <laughs> of just <laughs> feeling like we were standing out so much because of dad there and his, of all things to remember. And, you know, I was 20 and I didn't really want my dad to stand out for looking funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. 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 And, and my other one I remember is I got into a, taxi and I wanted to get to the beach and I had practiced how to say it in Greek so that I could tell the taxi driver and he just turned around and looked at me and was like speak English please (laughs) (laughs) I was in Mexico as a kid and I had taken two or three years of Spanish and um, went there with my folks and somebody on the bus asked me a question and everything just went away (laughs) all my spanish was like out the door it's funny under the pressures of that but one interesting trip i had an opportunity to take uh right after i graduated college i had a friend who was studying in egypt and so another buddy of mine uh and i went over to cairo and visited him and uh spent some time in cairo and then went down the river to luxor and just experiencing egypt was really uh fascinating very different very cross-cultural and uh I remember we had to take a, a boat across the Nile River to get to the Valley of the, of the Kings. And before, we were looking to see who would give us a good price and what, what, um, what boat we'd take over as far as just these guys with their little boats that you would take you across the river. And before um, cutting the deal, he would offer us a cup of tea. And I thought that was really kind of interesting. The last thing I would have expected on a 90 degree morning is to sit down in this guy's little boat 
and have a cup of tea, hot tea. <laughs> oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, little things that come to mind as far as cross-cultural experiences, but um, yeah. Well, yeah. hey, Mark, who are we talking to today? Well, speaking of cross-cultural experiences, we've got We've got a native Illinoisan, uh, Stephen Wagner, with here uh, us today. He hails from Buffalo Grove, Illinois, which is not not far from where we are. Um, but uh, he's recently taken up residence in Alexandria, Minnesota. So he's up in the north now. Um, one of uh, Stephen is one of the two co-founders of the Awaken Project, and that's a faith-based gap year program. Uh, and Stephen is currently the primary program coordinator for that, uh, as well as co-hosting the Awaken Project podcast. So Stephen's got his own podcast as well. He's, he's uh, well-versed in this. Uh, he has a master's degree in international education from Spain, uh, the University of Alcala in Spain, uh, and has previous work experience with Youth Encounter, Mount Carmel Ministries, Reach, Glo Reach Global Europe, Quake Events, and the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland. So he's done a lot of different um, ministry type of uh, um, work and uh, a lot of work with students and we're excited to have him here with us. He's also, uh, for better or for worse, he's an avid Green Bay Packers fan. Some <laughs> of our listeners are excited about that. He's wearing his <laughs> Packers shirt right now and yes, others others are hopefully not tuning out because of that. Stick with us, Jane. Uh, he's a good he's a good guy and, and he as as we know, he grew up in Chicago, but there's a number of us Chicago folks who are Packers fans. He loves the smell of freshly chopped wood, and he's a proud nerd of the United States interstate highway system. And so I'm not sure if that's a subculture uh, that we would hear more about, but uh, he's an interstate highway nerd. So uh, welcome, Stephen Wagner. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Man, Mark and Cheryl, it is, it's a, a privilege to be hanging out with you all tonight. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, with the interstate system, I um so I'm a visual learner. And for me, at least the interstate system is a great way to visually learn how to get around the whole country. Um, I'm one of those guys that I, I just I drive somewhere once and I pick up my landmarks and memorize some road numbers and all right, got it, got the memory bank. Here we go. I just and I think the, the interstate system in the United States is laid out really well that as long as you know where you're going in your specific city, you can get most anywhere without a GPS. So that's how I nerd out about it, at least. I've, I have to say, I've never heard somebody say that they're an interstate nerd, but I love it. I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's cool to be able to, for me, at least that's another, I think it's cool. Some people might be listening and think like, Stephen, that's so dumb. Like, why do you care? <laughs> um, but for me, at least, uh, to get to know people uh, one way is you know what's around them and the interstate is around all of us for at least for people that you know live by cities um or like for me at least in alexandria now i mean interstate 94 runs right through town i mean we're two hours from any big metro area but you know at the very least that's it connects us and you know think about it there's pavement that connects all of us as mundane as it might be um just a matter of how much payment or which payment you need to take to get to one another you had to kind of get off that payment to get to spain though I did. I had to get on something that skipped over the pavement and a lot of water. But uh, yeah, we got there. Stephen, one thing I was thinking about with your interest in the interstate system um, and what I know of you, you've been doing a fair amount of driving around over these last several years. I have a feeling because I'm reading in your bio all these different things like Youth Encounter and Mount Carmel Ministries and yeah. Quake events. And have those yeah. involved you getting around the country a bit? 
Yep. Yep. I have driven to, I mean, every, everything that you just mentioned, at least you think Connor was, I was basically living out of a van for a year and driving to all the events that I did and quake events I've driven from, I mean, based out of Chicago, Minnesota and Cleveland, I mean, gotten myself from Virginia beach to Cincinnati to Seattle to everywhere in between all by all by car. So I'm a proud Midwesterner and that I do not fear the road trip, no matter how long it is. Even just this last summer, I actually drove by myself to Canada. Um, 16 and a half hours, one way to visit some friends at the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute. And I had a blast. Some other people might think that that sounds miserable, but I had a great time. It's awesome. <laughs> well, what took you to study abroad in Spain? In Spain, so. yeah. So this was uh, this was the fall semester of my junior year of undergrad. Uh, I was a Spanish minor in school, and I uh, had already taken two semesters of Spanish at Baldwin Wallace University. That was my undergraduate institution. And um, I knew that if I studied abroad, I could complete my minor in one more semester. And I figured, well, if I study abroad, I get to finish it pretty quickly. And also probably going to learn a bit more in a Spanish speaking country than I am in suburban Ohio. So I looked around for some programs that I thought were pretty cool. And I found, honestly, th this one at um, the program was through, so as Mark mentioned, the University of Alcala, uh, no worries on the pronunciation there. I lived there for a year and still can't quite get it right. Um, but there is, uh, within that university, there is um, a little, I guess, subsection called the Instituto uh, Franklin, which is the only North American to Spain kind of cross-cultural study center in the entire country of Spain. And so a lot of um, North American students passing through this particular university for cultural exchange programs. And so I just found the university. I knew it would satisfy my, my degree requirements and just picked it. I didn't honestly, I didn't even know where exactly university was until probably about three weeks before I flew to Spain. I just told people I'm going somewhere in the country. And then one day I realized, you know, I should probably look this up. I should probably actually like know where I'm going. <laughs> so I did look it up and it's it's about 30 a 30 minute drive maybe 25 kilometers uh east of madrid and madrid is right in the middle of spain the geographical center of the country uh, if you know your europe at all spain is in the big part of the iberian peninsula southwest europe um, nice big long beaches in the south and some almost like swiss alps vibes up north and then right smack dab in the middle is madrid so so Stephen, um you got to spain and i understand that there was a, a special relationship that you you um, developed with your host family. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what that was all about? Yeah, for sure. So as part of the the semester program, we were all us all students. We were assigned host homes, host families to live with, and so these families are responsible for just providing us a place to stay and uh, meals throughout the semester. Um, and then yeah, we that's just home base for the semester, and so. Um, I just remember the bus pulled up. We got on the bus from the airport, came into the center of town, and I was just waiting for, I was actually the, I was the last person to get in the car for my uh, host family. Everyone else got their people and I'm, I had to sit there for probably a good 20 minutes thinking, am I just, am I stuck here? Is anyone going to come pick me up? <laughs> and, um, and so I, I was told that the, my host dad's name was Tony. And so I'm like, all right, Tony, where you at dude? And, um, 
he, he pulls up and I was told that he was going to be in a wheelchair. So I was just going to put my stuff in the back of the car, get in and then uh, off we go. And so Tony came and picked me up and we had to go get gas real quick and then drove back to his house. And I just remember immediately uh, all these roads. I had no idea where I was going. It, the United States is nice and laid out in or at least the Midwest. It's nice. I like the grid system. It's really easy to keep track of where you are. Spain. Oh, boy. I had no idea where I was going, northeast, southwest, forget it. Um, so we get to his house, and in uh, this whole time, I'm trying to just spark conversation with him. And I can specifically remember, so when we sat down for lunch at about 3 p.m., because that's when you eat lunch in Spain, uh, we had a bowl of spaghetti for lunch. And, you know, at this point, I'm going through, you know, just my basic bio information. He's asking me, you know, how many siblings do you have? Where are you from? What are you studying? All that good stuff. And I remember running out of words in about three minutes. Like I legitimately could not think of any other words in the Spanish language to use to converse with this human being. So I just sat there and I thought of topics like, well, I could ask about that. Oh, wait, I don't know how to say any of that. Oh, what about, oh, nope, can't say it. I don't know any of those words either. So I just sat there, ate my spaghetti and felt pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty helpless. We'll go with that word. <laughs> so... Did Tony speak much English at all or? No, he, he didn't. Um, I mean, he knew some words from song lyrics. I mean, just the general hello, goodbye, how are you, all that. But in terms of what language we were going to be speaking for that semester, it was going to be Spanish for sure. And I mean, that's that was the purpose of me going there. I didn't go to Spain just to speak English for four more months of my life. Sure. Um, but the the harsh reality of, all right, Stephen, you got your work cut out for you, you know, so Stephen, was it just you and it was just you and Tony for the most part? Yeah. So he had uh, two other sons, uh, Gie and uh, Mario, that were they were in and out of the house. They came through every now and then for meals. So I got to know them a little bit, um, but they sometimes they stayed at Tony's place. Sometimes they stayed at their mom's place. And so they weren't consistent regulars in the house. So for the most part, it was it was just me and Tony um, that semester. Actually, I did have another roommate um named Osman. So he he roomed with me for that semester and I'll allude to for, for grad school at, at Live with Tony again. That time was by myself, but um at least for that fall I had it was myself, Tony, and then Oz was he was around more than the sons, but still not quite as much as me. So and did he speak English or did he speak Spanish? Oz was from New York. So he definitely, yeah, he spoke English. Okay. Yeah. His family was his family was from Oz's family was from um Oh, let me get the country right. His family was from the Dominican Republic. So he spoke Spanish just fine with Tony. And then I'm sitting over here left in the dust. Stephen, you're bringing me memories back. We had a French exchange student for like two weeks that came and stayed with us when my daughter was in high school yeah. and then came back again later, like you, and stayed for another week a couple of years later. But that first day of picking her up at the airport, and her trying to speak English. I spoke no French, zero yep. French. Yep. You know, um, so you bring back memories of the challenges, especially that very first day when you get immersed in it. Yeah. Boy, challenges is the word. And uh, I, I can imagine that the language was the big in your face challenge. Were there other challenges uh, that were posed during that, that time? Yeah, that was, I mean, language was the immediate challenge. The, the one that, I guess the stuff that trickled at least from it, from the language was, so Tony, um, 
as I mentioned, he was in a wheelchair when he was 27. Uh, he got into a pretty bad motorcycle accident that left him paralyzed from about the about the chest down, and so um, he had a, a you know alternative lifestyle just in terms of how he got around and how to take care of himself, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so what I had to learn pretty quickly was well, there there are some things that that go on in his day to day that he could use some help with. Not that he's completely helpless. I mean, he was pretty self-sufficient. Um, really, I was, I was pretty impressed, honestly, by how well he could get around and take care of himself. But, you know, there were things like taking groceries off the back of his wheelchair. You know, that was something that he'd usually wait for somebody else to come do. And I happened to be getting home the same time that he'd come home from a grocery run uh, after I was done with school. And so I just, I'd take the groceries off and just put them away. And, and, and for me, at least, that was just a small thing that I could do just to try and give us something to talk about or learn the language around groceries. Cause I didn't, I couldn't remember it from my textbook at least. Um, but learning how to live with, live with him um, with, you know, this, these extra things that I'd never lived with anybody that was wheelchair bound before. So this was, you know, an all new experience for me and just learning how to, how to serve him. Um, yeah. In, in that capacity is something I'd never done before and something that I uh, just had to learn just by doing it. So, Stephen, during that time, are there any um, memorable moments, especially um, that you had um, with your host dad in Spain that you'd like to share with us? Any stories from that time? Yeah. I mean, well, so let me give you kind of an overarching uh, storyline as to where some of the smaller moments fit in, if that's all right. Sure. So, I think, I mean, when I was listening to your introduction, for this podcast and you're focusing on so social social justice advocacy and service and so my story is focusing particularly on service and you also mentioned something to the effect of wanting to you know improve the lives around us the people that are our neighbors how do we help them to you know just enjoy this life to flourish instead of just drag through it and hope that it ends sometime soon um and i think about in my work, at least, I'm, I mean, I'm only 25 years old. I'm not trying to sit here and say I have it all figured out. I've, I have a really long way to go before I have anything figured out. Um, but I think one thing that I have learned um, in, let's say, we'll just say the, the seven years after high school, my adult life per se, um, is that real lasting change and real lasting relationship building takes a lot of time. It's long, it's hard, it's um, not really celebrated honestly by a lot of us it, it takes a long time to really make a lasting impact and if you're really making an impact chances are you're not going to be noticed for it i think that's something that you know our mainstream news media is pretty good at it's we're really good at hearing about the stories that catch our attention uh that kind of get us a little worried but all the all the good ones kind of seem to go under the radar and i think that's one thing that i am proud of is from at least from my relationship with Tony is that it, it, it did go unnoticed. It, it was something that, you know, for, for the most part, a lot of people don't know that about me and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need everyone to know, but I know that the relationship that I have with Tony is, is special. And it's something that I really cherish and something that was impactful for both myself and him. Um, little moments that I will hang on to for I mean, the rest of my life. I mean, I can think of, days where he asked me to come to the mall with him. He needed, he wanted somebody to, to uh, just push him through the mall just to go get some video games. He's a big gamer and uh, just getting to finagle parking lots and getting him in and out of the car and trying to talk to clerks and who the heck am I this, this tall, 
you know, white dude from the United States pushing him in around Spain. Like, what is this oddball couple doing here? Um, you know, I remember when I came back a second time, I, I lived with him again, uh, fall 19 into spring of 2020. Um, I remember going to a basketball game with him downtown Madrid. That was an absolute blast. Every Sunday with his family, we would go up to his mom's place on, there was like a little mountain right next to our town. And we just have lunch together to get to know his family, um, to be a part of their daily, their, their weekly rhythms of, of meals was really cool. Um, and this is also when, I mean, towards the end of my second stint with Tony, um, this when COVID hit. And, um, at that point, after probably it was 10, 11 months of living with him collectively across two states. Um, my Spanish finally did indeed. It improved to the point where I could converse with him and actually have real conversation. That was a treat. And he was a big part of helping me, you know, learn how to, well, survive <laughs> speaking Spanish. Um, it was interesting to finally, you know, to see the language barrier get to the, get to the point where it dissolved, where I could actually express my secondary and tertiary emotions to him and actually process what the heck is going on in the world right now. Um, Cause I couldn't do it in English, my native language where I have all these grandiose thoughts I thought I had, you know, well, those are irrelevant right now. So I need to figure out how to express myself in Spanish. And it was cool to, to get to do that with him. And he was really gracious and helping just, here's a word there. Here's a word here for, you know, helping to get my thoughts out. Um, but he did become, you know, one of my, one of my best friends, a person that I, you know, I can think of plenty of days I'd come home I, after teaching uh, in the public school, uh, my day job, at least where I was, man, you have a day with some kids. You're like, you guys are little turds, <laughs> oh! mm-hmm. little 10, 11 year olds, man, driving me up a wall. And I just need to get home and just vent. And you know who I vented to? I vented to Tony and I had to do it in Spanish. And he sat there and he took it and yeah, I, he didn't have to, I mean, he could have just ignored me, but he was, he was my friend. He listened to me. Um, and he allowed me to, to grow. And I mean, to really to, to fail in my conversation to, I'd never been angry in Spanish before. I don't know how to do that. So, you know, allowing me the space to just figure it out, both literally like, what am I trying to complain about? And two, the language to, to try and express myself. He was there to help me grow in that sense. So little things like that. And I just, it, it, it became something of, you know, I really enjoyed getting to serve him because he also served me. I mean, the second time that I lived in Spain, I had to get through some more, well, things like getting a residency card and figuring out a bank account and stuff like that to actually live there. Um, never done that in Spain before, you know? And so it helps when you have somebody on the ground that can, you know, go over to city hall with you and, you know, I can, I, I couldn't necessarily, he wasn't going to translate for me per se, but at the very least I could communicate a thought to him that he would then, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. And then say something a little bit more put together to the, the city hall official, things like that, where, you know, I, he was advocating for me, um, in a way that I needed at that time. And I don't know who else I would have gone to for that. Maybe if I looked hard enough, could have found someone, but the fact that I had someone in my place of living that was willing to do all of that with me was huge. So. So Stephen, do you have any other stories about your time with Tony that you want to share with us and our listeners? I will end on one lighter story. This one is uh, an all-time favorite. So 
in Tony's house, it's four total stories. Um, houses in Spain, they're not like houses in the United States. The the floors by square footage by each, by each floor isn't all that big, but there's multiple levels. And so because Tony uh, is wheelchair bound, uh, he you know can't go upstairs. And so a couple of years ago, like 20, 20 some odd years ago, he had an elevator installed in his house. Okay. So the elevator is what he uses to get up, down, everywhere in the house. Go figure. And so one day in the spring, the elevator was not working. And so called some neighbors over, tried to get a guy from down the street to come take a look at it and nothing doing. We got ourselves uh, an elevator that's stuck on the ground floor and it's time for Tony to go to bed soon. So we got to get him, we got to figure out how to get him up uh, one floor to his bed. Uh, so you go downstairs, there's a little closet that's got the pneumatics of the elevator. There is exactly one handle with, a, I believe it's a pneumatic cylinder, that's what it's called. So you pull the handle and then you can slowly raise or lower the elevator. And so myself and his son, Mario, that we were both in the house at that time, we took turns pulling this handle to raise the elevator, probably about a quarter of an inch with each pull. And we had to go 10 feet with Tony in the elevator. It took us about 40 minutes, each of us cranking this elevator by hand to get him up one story. Uh, I was exhausted after that. And it was funny, like we'd you'd open the, the doors of the elevator and there's Tony, like you could see like at one point you could only see the bottom half of the chair and then you open the doors on the second floor and then it was only his head, like kind of right where your feet were and you saw him slowly inch up. And oh my goodness. That was, that was the time we got him there, but man, I was, I was sweating. We worked. <laughs> That's something you'll remember. There's that yeah. physical service thrown in. There is. Yep. So <laughs> every now and every now and then you gotta, you gotta put your, you gotta put some elbow grease into it. So Steven, now you're working with your Waken project and yeah. that's a, it's a gap year program. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can um, draw any connections between the experiences you had with Tony and the work you're doing right now, did it influence you in any way? Yeah. I mean, I think that I mean, kind of what I've been, what, what I've been referencing throughout this conversation is that the work that happens that you're not really going to see uh, on any headlines. Um, so the Awaken Project, we are, so we are a, a Christian organization specifically aimed to provide a gap year program for young adult students between the ages of 18 and 25, looking to, um, to study the Bible, to live in community together, to get to travel, um, ultimately to, to establish some rhythms of life that are biblically sound and um, yeah, to honor one another. And when you actually dig into what those rhythms are, rhythms of, I mean, meals and prayer and serving and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they don't really do you any good unless you're doing them consistently and you're doing it to serve one another. I think especially too with young adults, kind of this, this, well, Gen Z that's coming up now and then the tail end of millennials too, that so many of us, what we're really longing for is just some real consistency in our lives that um, we're not a very rooted generation. People my age are pretty good at getting anywhere else that's not where they're currently at. Um, and I think for us to provide a space here with the Awaken Project that you can put down some roots and they might, you know, sure, we're, we're going to travel a decent amount. And ultimately the place that, that you're with us here isn't going to be, well, it likely isn't going to be a long-term home. It at least teaches you how to establish roots with people. So wherever people go, you still have a home. Um, and I think what I learned 
with Tony, as I've been saying, is that, you know, I put roots down with him, not necessarily at his house. Sure, at his, at his place, that dwelling space will forever and always be home um, or feel like home no matter who's living in it. Um, but with him, whenever I got to speak with him, it just felt like I was home, the person. And I think that's what I, what I hope to be doing, at least with our students here, you know, whoever listens to this, whether it be this year or years to come, is that in my conversations with my students, I hope they feel like there's, they, they feel at home with me, not because that I am any kind of guru that knows exactly what to say in any conversation, but rather that I'm, I'm serving them well and I understand how to meet them where they're at. Um, if that's my reality with, with my students here, then I'm doing a good job. Um, and again, I hope that all those interact, if any interactions that are along those lines, I hope they ultimately are just part of the journey. You know, I don't need any accolades for those. I don't need to know what the end result is. That's not my job. Um, my job is whoever's here with us to love them well. And that's it. That's what, that's what it comes down to. Stephen, when you were describing it, um, you just made me think that like Tony had a welcoming heart for you. And it sounds like you're trying to have that same welcoming heart for students that maybe take part of the awaken. Yeah. Project. Well, I think that's just, I mean, the, a spirit of hospitality, I think is something that once you really experience it for the first time, it's really, really hard to forget that. I mean, so I mentioned that I, uh, just traveled to Canada, uh, a couple months ago at the end of August. And, um, when I was coming back, I'll, at least I'll, I'll start with on the way out there, I just got a hotel in Minot, North Dakota. It's like a third of the way there and then drove about 11 hours second day. And on the way back, um, I knew it wasn't with the way that my schedule was set up for the last day that I was there. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to Minot in one day. So my plan was uh, just to find a, a big gas station, pull my car over and just sleep, you know, sleep in my car overnight at a well-lit gas station and then just hope for the best the next day. Yeah. Cause that's what I do uh, for better or worse. Um, and so I was just kind of thinking about, well, maybe what if, what if I asked around some of the people that I was, I was at the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute in Camrose, Alberta. Um, just asking some of the people that were there, maybe, maybe they knew somebody in Saskatoon, which is the capital of Saskatchewan, um, which is about four and a half hours into my journey. So I just put out some feelers of, hey, does anybody have a connection in Saskatoon? Anyone that I could just crash with for a night? That'd be great. Uh, and so I put that request out in about 15 minutes later, I kid you not at dinner, uh, one of the dorm parents, uh, Amy Jack came up to me and said, hey, my parents live in Saskatoon. I just texted them. They said they'd love to have you. I'm like, what? Uh, sweet. Okay, cool. Let me know how, how to get there. And so I, I pull into, I mean, I pull into this house at Saskatoon. I've never been there before. I pull in just a few minutes before midnight. And lo and behold, there is Amy's mom. She's waiting for me at midnight. And uh, she shows me downstairs. And I mean, a lovely guest room wonderful guest room, my own bathroom. I was sleeping in a bed that night instead of my car. I wake up the next morning and she's got a full breakfast ready for me. And she made me some sandwiches for the road and talked to me for a little bit. And all in all the interact, we probably talked for, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes total across the night. And then the next morning, um, but her willingness to take me in and she didn't know who I was. Uh, she didn't know anything about me, but she still took me in. 
you know, I think about interactions like that, just even one night and then, you know, compound that, multiply that off of, you know, what Tony did for me and then so many other people too. I mean, that's, that is the gold standard for me in terms of taking care of one another is it's, it's hospitality of, I don't care where you're coming from, who you are, let me take care of you. And I think that it, it melts for me, at least that, that melts my heart faster than almost anything else is it's, it's when I'm in need and somebody is willing to take care of me. Um, I know that I am well loved in those moments. And I, for me, at least I see the direct correlation of, you know, I can do that for other people. So I, you know, now like when people ask me like, Stephen, like, what, what do you want in your dream house? What do you think? And I say, well, first, honestly, I want the nicest room in the house to be the guest room. I want whoever's coming to my place. I want them to have, I mean, full bed. I want that thick foam on that mattress. I want you to be comfy, <laughs> your own bathroom, clean towels, hot breakfast in the morning. You got it. So I don't have it right now. I just have an apartment at the moment. Um, but one day that's my goal at least is, you know, to have that room prepared, to have the space, uh, whoever's coming in, you got a spot with me. Cause I mean, I could, that'd be a whole podcast series, maybe between my Ethan counter days, quakes, Tony. I mean, I, I could write a book about just all the various people that I've gotten to stay with over the years. I probably, I'm probably a couple, I probably stayed in a couple hundred different guest rooms over the course of my life. And wow, just, yeah, I mean, every single one, it just, it's, it, it just reinforces further and further how best to serve through, you know, the simple basic needs that we all have. What a great model, Stephen. Uh, and it's so called countercultural as well, because, you know, in a time and age when, you know, it's all about ourselves, it's all about independence and uh, isolating ourselves. It's a, it's a model of um, just hospitality where you can call somebody and uh, that you don't know and stay with them. Uh, and, it's wonderful, and it's neat to hear your your dream house, and that the guest room would be the main room. Um, Let me know when you're coming through, Mark. Coming through to visit. Let me know when you're visiting. Yeah, you bet. You bet. You got I it. Will. I'll do that. I might just go up there to check out the guest room. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, just give me give me like two hours notice, and I'll I'll have something for you. Excellent. Hey, excellent. Stephen, uh, my daughter yeah. is now living in near St. Paul in Egan, Minnesota. So maybe I will show up there one day. <laughs> well, I mean, it's about a two and a half hour drive from Egan. So I guess that's, yeah. Just let me know. Let me know before you leave. Two and a half hours is nothing to Steven who's driving nothing. 16 hours to Canada. So yeah, you can do that, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah. One final image that uh, I'd like to leave with our listeners that you, you left with us and is kind of um, percolating in my mind is uh, you use the word roots. And we think of roots in a lot of different ways, but uh, relational roots is what you're talking about, Stephen, tonight. I see that as a common theme with Tony, um, with your ministry, um, having deep relational roots. And what do roots do? They, they feed us. You know, the roots uh, take nourishment from the soil and they, and they help to create the fruit of our lives. And so um, you're talking a lot about uh, having roots in relationship uh, and how meaningful is that? How important is that? So... Thank you for sharing that with us and uh, and with our guests. Uh, any any final words from you, Stephen? Man, I uh, if if it's all right, I um. Can I just read one psalm, one you psalm, bet. and then so this is something that um, if if you're not into into the Bible, that's okay. Um, 
I, I don't need you to be, but I just, this is something, at least a word that I have found recently that really puts into perspective what you're getting at, Mark, with, um, with roots. And so this is uh, from the book of Psalms. This is the very first Psalm, Psalm 1. I don't know last time is that either of y'all read Psalm 1, um, but the first three verses, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And I love in, in this psalm, this imagery of a tree planted by streams of water. If you ever pictured, if you ever seen a tree by a river, I mean, you've, you've seen some of those roots coming out of the ground. They are thick and they got, they got to hang on to something. Um, and I like this imagery too, that, you know, for any of us to meditate, for me, at least it's meditating on the law of the Lord. And, and that essentially means, you know, what can I hang on to? What, what has been given to me uh, by God that, is going to remain consistent. And especially when I think about relationships and how we, we are consistent with one another, it's, it's what I've talked about. It's, it's taking care of one another. It's being consistent in um, the care that we extend to one another. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all the strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I would call that the best law of the Lord that we have. And if I can do that and I can be like this tree planted by streams of water, then by God's mercy alone, then I hope that I do indeed prosper. Not that in any kind of material blessing, but simply that my life here on earth has been well-lived and that I get to rejoice in heaven because of that. Um, so that is my final word. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for um, your time with us tonight. We really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure hearing some stories of Tony where it's been a pleasure hearing a little bit about the Awaken Project and, uh, and the deep roots you've made with so many people over the course of your years. And uh, you're a young guy, so there's lots more roots to, to be connected. Thanks for the encouragement to us and to our listeners as well, that there is, um, there's really meaning and importance in, in deepening relationships and serving one another. Yeah. Now, thank you both for the opportunity to come on. Uh, love getting to just share how exactly uh, my journey has been, and um, not that that's any kind of inspiring by itself, but just to hear just another human what's going on in their world. And uh, maybe that's the, the catalyst for some kind of change. Who knows? But yeah, it's been, it's been an honor to be here. So thank you. And that wraps up this episode of Just Stories. We hope you've enjoyed this time and you'll join us again. Just Stories is a partnership with Our Savior's Lutheran Church, an ELCA member church where all are welcome and we join in God's reconciling work, which prioritizes disenfranchised, vulnerable, and displaced people in our communities and the world. Your hosts are people of Christian faith, and we recognize that God works through many vehicles, including those of differing faith or of no faith. Our guests may or may not be members of Our Savior's Lutheran Church. If you enjoyed what you heard, tell a friend. And please subscribe. Tune in next time for more of Just Stories.